Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time for searching scripture. Yes. For the September issue of the Lutheran Witness, so we get to dig into God's Word with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, welcome back. Good morning. Good to be back. Last time we got to sit down in person at the LCMS convention. Have you recovered from all your travels and all the business <laughs> happening at LCMS convention? I think so. Um, I have to present. Well, I, I certainly hope so. I have to present on the proceedings at uh, my circuit meeting next week. So, oh, uh, so I get to review all of it. Wow. Exciting. Now, how are you going to condense everything that happened at convention into just a, a short meeting with your circuit? Um, I'll just have to talk really, really fast. <laughs> like, like the, uh, the disclaimers on uh, like oh, pharmaceutical yes. ads, just do yeah. it really fast like that. We can help you with that. <laughs> All right. We are studying God's <laughs> word uh, in searching scripture in the September issue of the Lutheran Witness. This month, we're taking a look at Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11. Pastor, you want to read that text for us before we get into it? Or do you want to describe it first? Which well, would you rather do? Yeah, we'll read through it and then we'll be able to reference back to it. Okay. So Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what are we going to be studying today? What's the theme of this little uh, section of verses that we're going to be looking at? So we're going to be looking today at uh, kind of how Paul values these things. Uh, if you'll remember last time we talked about Paul's interaction with the Judaizers and how he was uh, warning the Philippians against this this group of people that were moving into Christian congregations throughout the time and uh, throughout the empire. And they were they were bringing in this idea that, yes, uh, faith in Christ is a good start, but now you have to fulfill the law of Moses, particularly uh, the law of circumcision given at Mount Sinai and some other key items from the Mosaic law. And so we're going to be taking a look at Paul's comparing and contrasting the righteousness that comes from faith and the righteousness that comes from, uh, from works. All right, let's dig into question one, which is actually about four questions. So here we go. <laughs> Refresh yourself with Paul's list of achievements in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Now read 3, verse 7. These works are all counted as loss for the sake of Christ. They did not gain Paul's salvation. At times, they even kept him from seeing the only true salvation. Read Acts 9, verses 1 through 5 about Paul's prior zeal for the law. Was he able to recognize his Savior at that point? And now read Acts 9, verses 6 through 19. Notice that it was only when Paul was stricken helpless that he finally came to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. All right, where do you want to start with this one? 
Um, well, let's start out with kind of Paul's list of achievements here, and then we'll be with with that list. We'll we'll jump into Acts, and we'll take a look at where this uh, confidence in the flesh got. So he's writing about the Judaizers. Remember, we talked last month about how one of the claims that the Judaizers had against Paul was that, um, hey, look at this guy. He he's not one of us. We come from Jerusalem. We come from the holy city. We know the law inside and out. We're keeping it. We're doing all of these things that every Pharisee would brag about. And then Paul is going to say, look, it's not that I don't I don't match up to them. In fact, if you want to count works. Uh, if anyone must put confidence in the flesh, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And this is where uh, he picks up in Philippians 3 in this list of achievements. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he has this long list where he can say, if we're going to be keeping score, I win. Just look at the scoreboard. Um, and this is going to lead him ultimately to, uh, at the beginning of his, uh, when we're introduced to him in the book of Acts, he's a, pu- a persecutor of the church, as he admits here in Philippians. Um, and so in Acts 9, we have Paul moving against this upstart, um, what he would view as a sect uh, that's springing up worshiping this this man Jesus, and so uh, Paul sees this as blasphemy, and he's going to strike against it the way that anyone should be moving against blasphemy according to the righteousness of the law here. And so Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Now, that's really interesting, because when Paul, well, at the time he's Saul, um, is, you know, keeping score, when he's putting his confidence in the flesh and in his own works, uh, he's actually unable to even recognize the Lord. Uh, he has this this light from heaven and a voice booming. Um, I mean, this is as close to Mount Sinai as he's going to get. And he still has to ask the question, who are you, Lord? And this really uh, ties into what Paul has to say in Philippians 3 here, that it's not just like he was breaking even that, okay, he has righteousness of faith and righteousness of works, and that, that kind of like sets him with a blank slate. Now, he says that these things he's actually counting as loss. They actually set him back. If he's putting his confidence in these works of the flesh, it actually sets him back from being able to recognize his Lord for who he truly is. So he has to ask this question, who are you, Lord? And then, of course, in his compassion and forbearance and mercy, Jesus actually reveals himself to Paul. But Saul, he's not Paul quite yet. Um, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Um, and then, of course, uh, we're all familiar with the story how he's stricken blind. Um, he has to 
uh, stay there in Damascus until the Lord calls his disciple Ananias to come and baptize him. And it's at his baptism when he's been laying in bed as helpless as helpless as any uh, sick person, bedridden infant. It's when he's baptized that these scales, something like scales fall from his eyes and he's able to see. And this isn't just a physical seeing, but this also is a spiritual sight that he's given now too, that he's able, able to see and recognize his Lord for who he truly is. Um, so he has to have everything taken away from him, um, even the ability to kind of see and tend to himself so that there's no more confidence in the flesh. There's no more confidence in what he can do. Um, he has to be brought down to the studs so that he can be rebuilt in a righteousness of faith. All right, question two. Yeah. Reading, read more about this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus in Philippians 3.8. How highly does Paul value this knowledge? What is he willing to give up for it? How does he describe everything else compared to this treasure of Jesus crucified for him? The word in the ESV translation of the Bible is a fairly neutral term in everyday English. Look at other translations to see what other English words can be used to translate Paul's term here. All right. So, yeah, uh, Paul here is going to be writing that he counts everything as loss, as an actual negative. Because of the surpassing worth, the positive gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so he's willing to actually have all these things taken away from him. Uh, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, now, as the as the question mentioned, rubbish is kind of a neutral word. And actually, I think it's kind of like a like a classy, nice word, right? Because you you only hear like British people talk about a rubbish <laughs> bin, right? Um, we talk about a trash can. Um, and if we take a look at the way that different interpreters have chosen to interpret this word out of Greek, um, they kind of get a little, they, they cut a little bit deeper and they get a little bit closer to the mark. Uh, we have the word uh, garbage showing up, refuse, dregs. And then we start getting into even more colorful language that gets a little bit closer to the mark in Greek, dung, sewer trash. Um, these are, I'm just looking at, uh, at this side-by-side -side comparison of this verse with different translations. And so we, we do have that, I mean, Paul is not pulling any punches here. He's saying anything that I've done that uh, that those who want to put their confidence in their own works, the works of their flesh, um, the stuff that I've done that I've already proven is at a higher level than what these guys are accomplishing. Um, this is what you would find under under the street in the sewer. Um, and so he he's willing to count it as that uh, when it's when you compare it to just knowing Christ in obtaining what Christ has to give as a gift. All right. Well, we've made it through two questions. <laughs> um, we have a few more when we come back in just a moment. We are searching scripture in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others. 
to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, searching scripture with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We're in Philippians chapter 3 this month and uh, taking a look at verses 7 through 11. Are we ready to go on to question 3, Pastor? Ready if you are. All right. Does this mean that Paul is suggesting throwing out all good works? Take a look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, paying attention to the end of verse 10. All right. So this is one of the things that we we don't want to fall off on the other side of the ditch and then say that we're not supposed to do good works at all. <laughs> uh, Paul's able to hold these two ideas together, that our good works actually don't win us anything with God, and that if we're going to try to count them as scorekeeping with God, that they're actually, you know, garbage. Um, and so if we take a look at what he writes in Ephesians, we're able to draw these two ideas together in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where he, he writes, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And then we get to the uh, point where we're not going to fall off the other side. For we are his works, we, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, of course, we don't deny that we were meant to do good uh, in this world, uh, that we are actually supposed to do good works. This is something that God has actually preordained for us um, so that we would walk in them and we would be able to um, follow in his will and be able to do those things that are glorifying to him and beneficial for our neighbor. Absolutely. All right, question four. Read Philippians 3, verses 9 through 11. Paul is not engaged in Pollyanna thinking or, sh- or shallow fake happiness. Rather, he realistically counts the total of what is lost as nothing compared to the gain of being found in Christ. According to verse 9, what are some of the things gained? All right. So, I mean, Paul's not painting this picture that uh, as soon as you get on board with the program, that everything's going to be great and easy for you. And if you have the righteousness that comes through faith, that... Now it's just going to be smooth sailing. Uh, but he does recognize that there that life isn't going to necessarily get easier for you as a Christian. And sometimes it might even get harder. Uh, that we are going to have these, uh, these sufferings that we have. Um, Paul does write, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. It wasn't an enjoyable experience. Um, and he's going to write that he... Uh, that he he would rather know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, the sufferings of Christ himself. Um, and so it's it's not that he thinks that it's going to become easier for us, and he certainly isn't promising that, but he is saying that this righteousness that comes uh, through faith in him is just so much more infinitely valuable because of what we receive through it. Um, and so he's... He's saying some of the things that that's gained is, you know, the righteousness that comes through faith. This is the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of men. This is the kind of righteousness that makes God smile upon us and bless us. Um, that everything we receive is because he's already done all this great work for us. 
So he's all the heavy lifting. We can receive all these blessings, even uh, if it means that we're going to have to be suffering in the um, in the meantime as we are preparing, as we're getting prepared for the resurrection. Question number five. There is one especially great thing Paul knows he will receive. Find it in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. How does this power help Paul as he shares in the suffering of Christ? Right. So here it is that resurrection that I may know the power of his resurrection, the power of Jesus's uh, eternal life. Um, this is one of those things I think that it can help us refocus as Christians. Uh, we don't want to suffer. Or, well, we don't want to suffer, period, right? <laughs> it's just human nature. We're just not good at it. But yeah, we're not good at it. Uh, it's one of those things that does take practice and doing, which is probably one of the reasons that we do have crosses to bear regularly. But we also don't want to paint suffering as some sort of uh, thing that's going to earn us something from God. That, you know, I I put in the word, I paid this price, and so now I receive this good thing. Rather, we can look at the uh, suffering of this life as saying, okay, this is getting us ready ultimately for when we do have everything stripped away from us in death, because that is the one thing that we have, that we all have in common, that everybody will die. But then when we know that there's a resurrection, it helps reframe the way that we take a look at death, the way we take a look at the sufferings that are preparing us for that. Um, It helps us reframe everything that we do so that, you know, suddenly we're not so worried that I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for that. Um, When we have the resurrection, we have infinite time. We have eternity. And so suddenly it's easier for me to be able to make sacrifices for the benefit of my neighbor because I have eternity still, right? I'm always going to have eternity waiting on the resurrection. Um, suddenly, the these momentary persecutions, momentary sufferings, the effects of sin in the world, uh, when I know that I have the resurrection, I know that all of that's going to be erased. And that uh, even if it's agonizing at the moment, it's not going to last forever. And so it does help reframe these things for us. Um, and that's really what Paul is talking about. The power of his resurrection here is the power to understand that we're not just these finite beings, but we have everything waiting for us still. Um, No matter how much is taken away, no matter how much we give, there's always going to be more with Christ. All right. Question six. Philippians 3 verse 11 shows that the hope of the resurrection drives Paul through all trials, persecution, and sufferings. What phrase stands out in verse 11 to show the intensity of Paul's drive to be found in Christ's resurrection? How does knowing about Christ's resurrection and our own help us in challenging situations to strive by any means possible? For additional words of encouragement, see 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18 and Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. So Paul's really... uh... He's really doubling down on this by saying, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Ultimately, this is the goal. Um, This is what Christ accomplishes with his life and death and resurrection. And this is what he wants to give us. And so really, this is the whole point of it all. This is why Easter is the queen of seasons, right? This is why Easter is the highest festival in the Christian church, because that's what it's all about, that Christ is getting Christ is giving us eternal life. And we have this uh, repeated throughout Paul's writings in First Thessalonians. I'm sure that if anyone's ever attended a funeral in a Lutheran church, they've heard these words that uh, 
that will be resurrected will greet Christ in the air. We'll have this voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God when Christ returns and the resurrection is inaugurated. Um, and then we'll always be with the Lord. We'll be caught up together with those who have gone before us in the faith. Um, and then we have this promise of what the resurrection is going to look like. We get a little glimpse of it in Revelation uh, that it says that there will be that that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so ultimately when we know that that's what the resurrection is about, um, that that's what life looks like in eternity with Christ, that ultimately that is, that's the ultimate balm that we have for any kind of suffering that we have now. And so that we can, uh, we can always find peace in the upcoming resurrection. And that does give us extra drive to say, yeah, that's the whole goal. Do you want to read that revelation text? Did we get to the revelation text? Um, I just gave verse four from that one. Um, but that's one that I'm always happy to go back and read. So I'll, I'll give the whole, the whole, uh, revelation 21, one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. I love that one. All right, Pastor, we have a couple of minutes left. What would you like to, how would you like to wrap this up today? That for Paul, it's always going to be about going back to Christ and what he's giving us so that we're putting our faith in him. Ultimately, good works, we are to do them, right? That's just the simple bare fact um, that, that God wills for us to do good things according to what he has established in his law. Those things are never going to be able to give us the resurrection of the dead, though. And for Paul, that's the whole point, is getting there. And so, yes, we do good. We do good for our neighbors. They need our good works. God wants us to do good works for them. Um, we just, on Sunday mornings, we've been covering the parables of Jesus here at Redeemer. And uh, Jesus is pretty clear in Matthew's gospel that uh, the whole point of good works is so that people would see them and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice that there's no reward that he's speaking of for the good works there. The, the whole benefit is so that they would be able to glorify your Father in heaven alongside you. Um, because ultimately, the big thing Jesus has already taken care of. And so that's, uh, that's what Paul's always going to be going back to. Where's the best thing coming from? It's coming from Christ. So that's where he's going to put all of his faith. Thanks be to God. All right. So October, uh, anything special planned for the month of October in searching scripture? We'll continue with Well, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be sticking with, uh, Philippians here. And of course, since we've been talking about faith and works, I'm sure that we'll be able to make some kind of connection to some events in October. Um, <laughs> with uh, the righteousness that comes through faith alone. So 
Searching Scripture found in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness. Our guest today, Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. As always, Pastor Oliphant, it's great to, to have time with you in God's Word. Thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.